You're listening to the Longer Hall Youth Ministry Podcast with Jody Livingston and Chris Trent. Episode number 65. Hey, hey, no running in the halls. I'm going to need you to go back and walk. Welcome to the Longer Hall Youth Ministry Podcast, helping you survive and thrive in youth ministry. And now, your hosts, Jody Livingston and Chris Trent. Well, hey, hey, everybody. Welcome to the show today. Thanks for tuning in and listening wherever you are and wherever this finds you. Thanks for making this podcast today a part of your day. If it's your first time checking out the show, welcome. Man, you picked a good one to start on. Mm. And if uh, if you're coming on back, well, welcome. Thanks for coming on back. It's a good one, oh, man. This one's good. So, hey, Jody and I, uh, we're a couple of youth pastors, man. Uh, we are trying to survive the summer currently, uh, but uh, we're a couple of youth pastors, not not at the same church. We we both do serve in the Atlanta area, but we just love pouring into youth pastors. Uh, both been doing it for a little over twenty years each, and uh, just are still doing it. And so we we uh, Jody started this podcast a while back, and I joined in, and uh, we just love doing things like we're doing today in this awesome interview. And we'll talk about that in a second. So it's awesome. Uh, it's so so good. So if you want to connect with us beyond here, you can do so on the Twitter sphere at, at Jody Livingston. That's J O D Y and at Chris Trent. All of the links and resources that we talk about and mention, you can find on the show notes page at thelongerhall.com slash episode 065. That's thelongerhall.com slash episode 065. And if you are enjoying the show, finding it helpful, man, we would love for you to subscribe to the show so you can make sure you get the episodes every time they come out. That's important. Otherwise, you missed good stuff like today. And I just want to do a shout out today to... Anyone who actually is taking time during the summer to listen to a podcast. <laughs> Probably on a bus somewhere. Like, shout out to or... you if you're on a youth trip right now yeah, listening man. to this podcast because. You should be paying attention to your yeah, students. I think you've got a kid, a seventh grade guy doing something he should not do right now. But uh, shout out to you. Because uh, I'm feeling I'm feeling the weight of summer. I know you are. Man, youth ministry in summer is brutal. I love it, but it's it's crazy. So uh, it's yeah. brutal. Yeah. So uh, man, just a fantastic interview today. Mm-mm-mm-mm. Yeah, we've been we've been uh, we've had to reschedule this one a couple times, and it has finally worked out. But Clay Scroggins, who wrote "How to Lead When You're Not in Charge," so he is the lead pastor. At North Point Community Church. In other words, he works with Andy Stanley there at North Point and um, kind of Andy's right hand guy there for that that deal. And he wrote this book, and it's fabulous. And the interview, son, uh, so good. We could we could have kept going. Yeah, we just had to cut ourselves short. I mean, because and honestly, I can't recommend the book enough as far as that goes. We'll t- maybe talk about that at the end a little bit. But uh, but man, and, and matter of fact, we decided intentionally we just want to be able to jump into this thing. So we we decided to kind of kit. Uh, to cut some of the personal chat that we sometimes have just so we can go right into it with Clay because it's good. It's so good. It's so good. So here is today's interview with Clay Scroggins. And now we're pleased to bring you our feature presentation. 
Well, hey, everyone, we want to welcome Clay Scroggins to the podcast. Welcome, Clay, man. We're so glad you're taking some time to hang out with us. How's your day going, man? It's going great. Thanks, guys, for having me. This is uh, generous of you to let me get on the longer haul. Glad to be here. Well, Clay, I, I just want to start with this. As a fellow former safety patrol I would Stop just it. like I would just like to give you a little salute from across the across the old Skype right here. <laughs> Dude, when I when I listened to all that, I was like, man, I love my safety patrol days. The power. Yeah, those are good. That's right. A lot of power being a, <laughs> being a safety patrolman. I still have my badge and my little orange uh, strap thing. Are yeah. you being serious? Oh, I still have it. I got 100% in it. It's in a footlocker up in my attic. That's super embarrassing, but true. <laughs> that is amazing. <laughs> Every once in a while, I get it out. Of, no, I don't. I'm just kidding. <laughs> just Jody, for your... Uh, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, Jody, you were not a safety patrol. I was not. My kids were, and I kept trying to coach them up, you know, like uh, take a lightsaber, yeah. some handcuffs. That apparently wasn't, wasn't allowed, though, so... yeah. For the record, for your listeners, uh, I have a little story in my, but well, a little, uh, it's just a little, uh, an- anecdote, um, about safety patrol. So that's what yeah, that's man. about. That's where we got it from. It's all in the, in the how to lead when you're not in charge, which is what we want to talk about for a few minutes here. Uh, right. so that's why we have you on here, man, because if, if there's anybody who has to deal with how to lead when they're not in charge, that would be uh, that would be youth pastors for sure. So that said, um, talk about for just a minute, Clay, if you don't mind. You were a youth pastor prior to doing what you do now. Yep, correct. So, what were those days like? And do you have fond memories of being a youth pastor, or are you kind of be kind of glad to be done with it? <laughs> they were the best best days of my life, and it's my favorite season of ministry. And honestly. Uh, I don't want to say I have regrets, but uh, I I just I enjoyed my job back then so much more. I, I like what I do now. I just really loved student ministry and still still love student ministry. Um, I just got back from a, a student life camp that I was at yesterday, and that was a blast. Just I I feel like at our church. Um, I used to get invited to speak at our, uh, summer camp and I, they stopped inviting me. I'm too old now. <laughs> and so, <laughs> Welcome to our world. Yeah. yeah. They, they don't invite us to speak at our camps either. Uh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, and it's your camp. <laughs> yeah. It does. That's, that's, so, so you had fond memories of that. Um, yeah. That, that, what, what were some of your favorite parts about being a youth pastor? Um, don't say lock-ins. <laughs> we did not do I went to lock-ins as a student but I did not uh, as a student pastor we did not do lock-ins but uh yeah I mean I think it's the the opportunity for influence I mean that's you know everybody I feel like most people get into student ministry for one of two reasons either they had someone that was a significant mentor in their life and they wanted to pay it forward or they didn't have someone and they want to be for students what they wish they would have had and so for me, it's the former. I mean, I had a student pastor when I was a high school student that was just so influential in my life. And I got into student ministry because I wanted to be uh, I wanted to try to pay that forward and try to be the same kind of influence in a student's life that I had when I was a student. So 
that was my favorite part of student ministry was the opportunity at such an influential age to shape uh, the future of somebody's life. And I also, I mean, to be totally honest with you, I love the fun of student ministry. Uh, That's the one thing. I mean, adults can be fun, but (laughs) it's just not, it's, it's much more difficult for adults. I feel like they have to try to be fun. Students just are fun. So. No, I'm tracking with that. I went to an adult thing recently and I was like, oh my gosh. Ah, you people are lame. Yeah. Chris tries to be fun all the time. He just tries and tries. (laughs) Just try, 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 try. So, so, so full disclosure, Clay, when I saw the title of your book, it it both excited me. uh, But then I also, my response was, yeah, but as a youth pastor, man, I feel like it's, it's how to, how to lead when you're really, 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 really not in charge. Now, really not in charge, yeah. So would you agree that there's some of that to youth ministry, or do you think that that's just because I'm a youth pastor that I'm feeling that way, that a lot of leaders that are under, that are not the ones completely in charge actually feel like, well, if you were the children's pastor, you'd feel the same way, or if you were the, as you've talked with folks over the years, what are some of the things you hear there? I mean, I, I haven't really shared this with you guys because we just started chatting, but I, uh, when I started writing this book, so first of all, I don't feel like I'm a leadership expert. I'm not trying to tell people how I think they should lead. This book is a story. It's really my own experience in the professional working world. And before I even started writing, I uh, went through this exercise to do a psychographic on exactly identifying exactly who I was trying to reach and how I wanted to try to help them, which honestly, everybody listening should think about, you should consider doing this for your student ministry, uh, just to try to really identify who are you trying to reach? You know, let's name the person. Let's talk about what are they uh, excited about? What are they frustrated by? And so I did this uh, as a, through the writing process, I did the same exercise and I came up with this I made up this character. I called him Eager Evan. And Evan is, in my mind, he's a 27, 28-year-old student pastor who got into ministry because he had all the hopes and dreams of changing the world. Uh, he has a, uh, He's married. He's got a new child. Uh, he's got a seminary degree. He's frustrated. He likes his senior pastor because he's a really nice person but he's perpetually frustrated by his senior pastor because he feels like his senior pastor doesn't get him. And he feels like his senior pastor just constantly is an obstacle in the way of him doing what it is that he wants to do. And so this book really, to me, is uh, my own story of how I'm trying to not use my lack of authority as an excuse, but instead uh, trying to leverage influence, which every one of us has an opportunity to do that. But certainly... Student pastors, uh, I, yeah, I feel like this is a difficult, uh, not having as much authority as one would want, I definitely think is common for student pastors. So let me, let me say, let me ask this before we get too far, because normally we would ask this off the front, but we just, I forgot. Um, <laughs> for those who maybe are listening, Clay, who don't know, yeah. I mean, we obviously talked about the book, but they don't really know your role and what you do yeah, currently yeah, now. Yeah. Can you explain yeah. that just real quick? Yeah. Uh, I uh, grew up in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Um, my Roll family, tide. yeah, my family rolls with the tide. They play football in Tuscaloosa. 
Uh, I moved to Atlanta to go to Georgia Tech. I was an engineering student. I hated it. I made myself finish because I just didn't want to quit. Even though I knew I wasn't going to be an engineer, I uh, wanted to go into ministry. And I decided I wanted to go into ministry because I started attending North Point Community Church in Atlanta, uh, North Atlanta. It's a little suburb called Alpharetta. Uh, Andy Stanley is the pastor of North Point Community Church. And so I went to seminary, uh, met my wife in seminary, moved back to Atlanta, and started working at North Point. We, at that point, we had gone multi-site. So I was the high school pastor for about five years. And while I was there, uh, my, uh, the scariest part of my job and one of my favorite parts of my job was all three of the Stanley kids were in our high school ministry while I was the student pastor there. Mm. So that was mm. a blast and also a lot of pressure at the same time. And then I, uh, maybe about seven years ago, uh, Andy asked me to move back to Brownsbridge and be a, a campus pastor at that local church. And then I moved to North Point, back to North Point three and a half years ago to be the campus pastor uh, at North Point Community Church. And so that's where I currently serve. That's what I've been doing. I oversee our staff. I lead our, uh, we, we call it, we don't, we really don't use the term campus. We call them local churches because our, even though we are a network of churches, our hope is to try to create great local churches and communities. We feel like every community ought to have a church that unchurched people love to attend. And that's our vision. That's what we're trying to do. And that's the role that I play uh, in the body. Yeah. It's good. So I think, you know, uh, and I love that. I mean, you even talk about that, right, in, in the beginning, kind of living in that shadow. Man, I think that would be, uh, that'd be scary. It'd be intimidating. The shadow, the shadow of Andy Stanley. Yeah. Uh, I, I've got like a sleeping bag in that shadow. <laughs> I'm, it, it, I'm a, it's it's my cocoon. I'm very comfortable. Yeah. It's a great shadow to be in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can I tell this quick story? Uh, this yeah. happened like a couple months ago at our church. Um, yeah. You know how, you know after uh, after the service, like people, you know, uh, this happens in student ministry, adult ministry, all the same. People are you can sense when somebody's standing there waiting to talk to you, you know, and oh, yeah. usually it's not good. Usually they are frustrated about something. So this lady was standing there and she was holding her cell phone. And she comes up to me and she goes, oh, my goodness, I've always wanted to meet you. And I was like, wow, no one has <laughs> ever said that to me. Um, but that's cool. So um, she was like, I really would love to get a selfie with you. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, like this is incredible. Like I, I wish high school would have been like this for me. And so uh, she goes on to say, uh, I drove all the way here from Tampa, Florida. I listen to you all the time. In fact. I just started thinking while I was sitting here today, I've never actually seen you. I've only heard you. And I was uh. like, this is really weird. And I think this lady's confused. And then she goes, you, you look a lot like your dad. <laughs> and I was like, what are you talking about? And she said, yeah, I listened to, I, she said, now I've watched him preach on TV a lot. So then I realized like, oh, this lady thinks that I'm Andy Stanley. I'm Charles Stanley's son. I'm like, this is hilarious. So I played it out a little bit longer. I went with it. And then I finally told the lady, I was like, hey, um, I think you're confused. I, I, I think you might be confusing me for someone. And she said, oh, my goodness, are you not Andy Stanley? And I was like, no, my name's Clay. And she slowly, <laughs> she literally slowly put her phone in her pocket and walked away. And I was like, this is, this is such a great little microcosm of the world that I live in. That's and I funny. love it. I, I uh 
Andy's great to work for. He's there's a lot of he's, he's there's a lot of challenging things about working for him because he's a phenomenal leader and he's a phenomenal communicator. Uh, but yes, I I live it uh, in the shadow. It's early I in the book. It. It's early in the book, Clay. But I, I I love the story. Could you, could you give a little bit of the quick version of the story when you're sitting in his office? Really, it sets up the whole book. You know, in terms of. Yeah. What that must have been like whenever you were really challenged for the first time, whenever he just kind of called you out on some of your ideas there. And, it, and honestly, it leads up to a question I'd like to ask, you know, at the end of that story related to what I think some youth pastors struggle with. Sure. Yeah. Uh, what you know, if anybody for those that work in a multi-site world, uh, you totally can understand this. One of the greatest tensions in multi-site church is between the local church, the local campus and the central organization, because. There's always um, uh, maybe some differing opinions on how things should be done. And so this really, uh, there were a, a number of those happening at the time, and particularly around student ministry. And so with my background being in student ministry, I feel like Andy, he uses me as a mole uh, sometimes and will pull me in and be like, hey, so here's a couple of things I've heard about what's happening in student ministry. What would you say? What do you think? What's the problem? So that was this was one of those situations where... Basically, some of the campuses, he felt like some of the messages that were being preached, he just didn't like them. He didn't think they were good. He thought they were sloppy. He didn't seem, feel like people were prepared. And and he asked me what my opinion was. And so I immediately blamed our central organization. I was like, well, they're getting the outlines to them too late or they're they're not written well enough or, you know, there's a hundred different excuses or reasons that somebody might give for preaching a bad sermon. And... And he was very kind about it. And he was very gracious about it. But I, I'll, I remember specifically one of the questions that he asked me that day. He said, so let me get this straight. If you were to get a, an outline that you felt like was bad, you would just preach a bad outline and you would just be OK with a mediocre sermon. And, it, and in, in his patience and kindness of like he was helping me come to terms or helping me even expose the victim mentality that I had been leading with, that I, I was basically making excuses for my lack of leadership, my lack of ownership. Uh, but I was, I was the, the subtitle of the book is leveraging influence when you lack authority. I was basically doing the opposite of that. I was making excuses because I lacked authority instead of going, you know what? The best thing to do, a great leader would take the outline, would do whatever he or she needs to do to make the outline great, and then would go have the hard conversation afterwards of, hey, this is what I felt like wasn't great about it, and I feel like here's a couple ideas on how we can improve this going forward. Um, I just wasn't – I was too blind to be able to do that at the time. So um, that was kind of the big light bulb moment for me. The story's not – I mean, there's nothing interesting about the story to me, but for me – it really was like the moment where I go, Oh my goodness. I started, have you ever, um, have you ever been in a situation where you feel like you smell and then you're like, Oh my goodness. Like, do I smell like, am I, am I like, you know, what's going on? And it was one of those moments where I was like, I, I, I think this is me. Like, I think there's something wrong. Maybe the outlines weren't great, but I am blaming, I'm playing the victim card and I'm not owning my own, uh, opportunity and responsibility to lead well in this moment, even though I don't have all the authority that I think I might want. So that was the situation for me. And I feel like so many youth pastors and, you know, and, and probably leaders period, but, um, 
and I know I personally struggled greatly and even from time to time still am tempted to struggle, you know, in this area of because that just requires a huge amount of humility. Because you got to be willing to say, man, like I need to own my part in this whole deal. And that's one of the things I, I love that story and what that sets up as far as the entire book goes, because it basically is saying, hey, you've got to own your part and you've got to be humble enough to acknowledge that sometimes it's we're being a little lazy. I mean, yeah, that's that, right. yeah. you know, I don't know that you really use the word lazy, but honestly, that's kind of what I'm hearing when I see it. I mean, I'm like, man, sometimes we just we're lazy. Because it's going to be hard work That's right. uh, to lead um, in in those really you know difficult situations. I think it's also in chapter two. You said uh, you know I don't want to read a ton here because it could get kind of boring. But you did say we have we have to find a balance of admitting our weaknesses and excusing them. Uh, too many leaders use phrases like "That's just who I am" or they just need to know that's how I've always been uh, to excuse areas of potential growth. And I feel like youth pastors often are tempted to, to say those kind of things. Yeah. I mean, I think all, I think all of us are, I mean, I think definitely, uh, in student ministry, every student pastor would like to have more authority. Every student pastor wishes that he or she, uh, had oversight over more because I think we just think, Oh, if I had more authority, leadership would be easier. And the truth is, uh, leadership in a lot of ways becomes harder, the more authority you have. And instead of wishing for what you don't have, if what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to own what I can own. And what I can own right now is I can lead myself well. I can choose to be positive about situations that I don't have control over. Uh, and I can learn how to think critically and bring value to areas that are uh, I'm responsible for and areas that I'm not responsible for. And I can learn how to reject passivity in those moments where I'm trying to uh, make excuses for what I don't have. And so those are the behaviors that really make up the book. And they're not just, um, for me, they're extremely practical. I mean, they're, they're genuinely things that I'm trying to work on so that I don't, uh, continue to blame others for how I think they're not leading as well as they should be leading and instead take responsibility for what I can lead, which the best place to start is, with myself. I mean, Michael yeah. Jackson said, I'm talking to the man in the mirror. I'm going to ask yeah. him if he can make a change. Somebody sing it. And that's what I think we got to, that's where I think we got to start is with the person in the mirror going, Hey, what's my responsibility? My responsibility ultimately is to lead me really well. Uh, and if I have a bad boss, I have a bad boss. If I have a great boss, fantastic. But either way, I'm going to make sure that I'm led really well because, um, not being led well isn't just isn't a factor of not having a good boss. Oftentimes it's because we're not leading ourselves well. Yeah, that's good. That's good. I think every youth pastor can relate to that. I, every, I think everybody listening can sit here and relate to those moments where you feel like, you know, you're frustrated with how things are happening above you, but the temptation is to ignore kind of where you sit and, and, and make those excuses, you know, Make this, and, I, and I see that a lot. I don't know what you guys think, but, you know, we see, and part of the reason, like, this podcast even exists is because that we've we've noticed this pattern of guys two to three years moving on, two to three years moving on, two to three. It's like, I think when you get to that point, you start recognizing a little more of who you are, where you are, who you're leading under, and kind of some of those weaknesses and excuses get exposed and they turn into frustrations and then it's just easier to leave. Um, and, and if it's not dealt with, 
you're going to walk right into the same situation the next time. So that's good. Yep. That's so good. Well, until you're willing to deal with who you are, right? Right. Until you're, until you're willing to really dig in and, and figure out what you're all about. Um, Clay, am I right in, in assuming um, that the weight of what you do now versus the weight of being a student pastor is incredibly different? Um, that now that you're responsible and I'm almost asking from a be careful what you wish for kind of thing. And I, I want to be careful here because I don't want to, I don't want to put you in an awkward spot where, cause I know I, I don't want to put you in an awkward spot where it feels like you're complaining about what you are doing now. Cause that's not what I'm asking, um, asking you to do by any means. But I just assume that based on all the leaders I've worked with over the years, I'm just assuming that what you deal with now was probably in some ways way more difficult than what you did when you were a youth pastor. Yeah. The way I like to think about careers, um, all of our careers are just a progression of problem solving. We're, we're trying to solve a problem. And once we feel like we have tried to bring a solution to it and others around think that we have as well, that a lot of times we move on to another problem and sometimes usually it's a bigger problem. So, Yes, I think the temptation for every one of us is to look at our boss and go, oh, well, if I had her job, then I would really be able to get some stuff done. Or if I had his job, I mean, then I would be able to just tell everybody what I think they should do. And yeah, it's just not. I have found that the more responsibility I have gotten, the harder the job gets, because the person at the uh, in the most senior spot in the organization usually is making decisions that no one else knows how to make or no one else can make, at least in healthy organizations. And uh, I just think even if it's not true, even if your boss's job is easier, you will do a better job working for your boss if you just assume that your boss's job is harder than your job. Mm, so I just think good. it's healthier to just believe that because it will only make you better. And if you walk around with a chip on your shoulder or feeling like, and, and I say all this because I'm tempted to do this. Um, I'm tempted to walk around going like, oh, well, I could do his job better than he's doing his job. Or I could do her job better than she's doing her job. Instead, just believing, making yourself believe that, no, his job is probably more difficult than your job. And there are things that she's responsible for, if she's having to deal with, she's having to worry about that. I'm just not having to worry about. And uh, instead of being frustrated at what I'm not getting to do, another maybe better attitude is just to be grateful for what they're doing that allows me to do what I can do. Mm. I think it's just a better, it's a better perspective. That's good. Whew. We could stop right there. <laughs> <laughs> but we're not going to, we got more. Um, so here we go. Uh, Joe, do you have something or can I keep going? What no, keep going. Keep going. All right. So, so I, I think I know the answer to this, but you know, one of the things I was just digging in here when I'm, and it, even as I'm hearing you speak, I'm like, I, I think it's important to remind ourselves. Well, let me ask you. I think I think you probably agree. Do you think that most people who are in charge now, and our great leaders had to live through the not being in charge phrase, and that depending on how they handle that impacts the kind of leader they are now. Yeah, I mean, certainly there are people who, you know, Mark Zuckerberg, you know, he would be in 
exception to this rule feels like he's been in charge. Okay, yeah, he, like he gets a pass on this, yeah, this exactly. right here. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and there's a lot of pastors. I mean, Andy, you know, he started our church when he was, I think, 37 or 38. And so he's been in charge for a long time. But uh, yeah, I think, I mean, Jesus is the one that introduced this lesson to us, that if you're faithful with a little, God is the kind of father that likes to give more to people that are faithful with a little. So what but you said, but you said, Clay, I don't mean to but you said 37 or 38, but even like with Andy Stanley, if you're a 25 year old listening and you're thinking, oh man, I want to be in charge. I want to be in charge. I mean, 37, 38, that's still for a lot of guys, that's, that's still several years down the road. That's 10, 15 years worth of experience and growth that had to take place for him before all of a sudden he was the guy. Yeah, you're absolutely Actually, right. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt the, you. No, you're right. The lesson of be responsible, be faithful with what God's put in front of you and he'll give you more. I think that certainly seems like the way God works in his economy. And so what I try to encourage people, what I'm trying to encourage myself is if you feel like you haven't been discovered, uh, I use the example of, uh, did you guys see that documentary called Muscle Shoals? Um, it was really interesting. I mean, I grew up in Alabama. There's this recording studio called Fane and Muscle Shoals where, I mean, like, Tons of big time artists, Rolling Stones, Eric Clapton, even current people like Carrie Underwood have recorded in this little tiny studio in this tiny town. And I just remember watching that documentary going, that is incredible that this little studio that was doing really great things got discovered. And the truth is, if you're doing something great, people will find you. And if they haven't found you, then maybe the answer is keep working on your craft because mm. it's not time yet and you need to get better. And, you know, I, I know the goal of student ministry is not to move on to something bigger or something better. Uh, but for a lot of people in student ministry, you just want to do more. I, that's where I was. I didn't, I wanted to lead however God wanted me to lead in whatever capacity he wanted me to lead. I was not looking to be done with student ministry if you would have asked me when I was in student ministry what I wanted to do when I was done with student ministry, I would have said retire because I wanted to be in it for life. That's what I was wanting to do. And it was an opportunity came along where my boss's boss's boss said, hey, would you be interested in taking on <laughs> more responsibility? So um, I think all of our careers are just solving larger and larger problems. And mm. if you don't feel like you've been seen, don't give up keep working hard and God has more where you are. And so keep working on your craft and keep working on your skills and keep trying to get better, which anybody listening to this podcast is somebody who's trying to get better. I think that's, what's amazing about what you guys are doing. You're providing a resource to try to help people get better at what they're doing, which I think is just tremendous. So yes, I definitely agree that you learn how to lead, not by being in charge. You learn how to lead by learning how to develop and cultivate influence when you're not in charge. Because the best yeah. leaders don't lead with authority. The best leaders lead with influence, even when they are in charge. And that's the most impactful thing you could do today is figure out how can I, even though I don't have authority, how can I learn to develop influence? Because when I get to be in charge, I'm going to want to have that influence to be able to lead with. That's good. I think the struggle often for student pastors um comes maybe when you have those moments and gosh every youth pastor has this where you i can't wait to see what god does in your ministry one day from the loving church member or uh i wish you 
got to preach more often. I love to hear you preach or, uh, you know, those comments that are, that are well-intended, well-meaning, um, that, man, that can be really conflicting for, for the youth pastor in that job and that role. I, you're totally right because what it communicates is what you're doing right now is not as important as what you could be doing someday. Yeah. And I mean, that happens to me still, you know, where people say, Hey, when are you going to get out and lead your own thing? And what they're, what they're saying is, uh, you're not really leading until you're actually in charge. Yeah. And it's just a, it's just a lie. That's just not true that what you're doing right now matters greatly. And I think you're absolutely right that people are well intent. They have great intentions when they say that, but what they're doing is they are allowing themselves to believe a lie as well. That the lie is, if I'm in charge, I'm leading. And if I'm not in charge, then I'm not leading. And that's just not true that you can lead from whatever position you're in. And it, it, to me, it's helpful because it makes today matter. Today matters greatly because, uh, you have an opportunity today to influence whoever you're around. Yeah. Love it. So maybe jumping into some real practical here for a minute, then as we head towards the end of this thing, um, it, it, towards the end of the book, you really dig in. With, with more of the practical, like, hey, how can you um, challenge and challenge well to make change happen? Uh, so so as, I, as I looked at that chapter, it, it, it excites me, but it also scares me a little bit because I'm thinking, man, I'm thinking some youth pastors might be thinking it's pretty risky. The idea that I would challenge who's in charge. The idea that if I'm a if I'm a youth pastor in a church that I would challenge the authority that is over me because I already feel so far down the totem pole it's not even funny um, that feels risky to me but in that you talk about some relational relational capital type things can you speak to that for just a moment or I yeah. can ask specific questions either one no that's great uh, the um, that's exactly what happened Chris was I got to the end of writing about these four behaviors that I'm trying to work on. And I thought, you know what? Uh, if we start to apply these, I know if I start to apply these, it's going to mean that I'm going to have to have some hard conversations mm. because change doesn't happen until something's challenged. That's why change happens. Change happens because something is challenged, usually the status quo. And if you begin to challenge, not in a, uh, disrespectful. I'm trying to make a name for myself. Um, I'm trying to throw my weight around kind of way just in a, uh, you have ideas on how to make things better. You have ideas on how to make it grow and how to help create more alignment in your church or how to create more energy or momentum for your ministry or your church. And if you begin to challenge your authority, your boss or your boss's boss, then yes. Um, it's going to require a lot of wisdom and a lot of discernment on how to do that because most, I mean, the, probably the greatest problem with, um, our, with how people challenge is that they don't do it. I mean, because most of us back down thinking, Oh, well, uh, this might cost me a promotion or this might yeah. cost me influence or this might cost me my job. Uh, I love the scene from first night with Richard oh, great Gere, movie, uh, great movie. Classic 90s, maybe late 80s, I don't know. Mm. And there's this scene where Lancelot is like jousting this guy in the like the city court, whatever you would call it back in the day. 
And uh, this big giant comes along. The giant's like dominating everyone. And Richard Gere, who's playing Lancelot, comes up and like challenges the guy. And he takes the giant's sword. And so now Richard Gere, Lancelot, has got both swords. And the giant says, oh, my goodness, that's amazing. How did you do that? And Lancelot says, well, you have to know three things. And the guy's like, please tell me. And he goes, number one, you have to pay close attention to everything your opponent is doing. And the giant's like, I can do that. I can do that. And secondly, you have to know exactly when to strike. And he said, okay, I can do that. I can do that. And then he said, number three, you cannot be afraid whether you live or whether you die. Mm-hmm. And I feel like <laughs> if, if you or I are afraid. You just, lo- you just, you just got about. 30 youth pastors fired with that. Guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's true. Be careful I mean, out there. If people you're going to, if you're going to challenge, well, you, in a way you have to be fearless because, um, you have to trust your father in heaven who says, I'm the one who controls your destiny. I've put you in the position that I've put you in for a reason. I mean, imagine all the people throughout the story of the church or throughout even the story of the nation of Israel or Judah, who they didn't back down from the moment of challenge, but they stepped up and they rose to the occasion. So I know that's a, I don't know, maybe that's making it too, too big of a deal out of it, but I really believe that learning how to do that. Well, I think that serves as a warning. I mean, as a, be careful, but it also serves as, as a, it's, you gotta be willing to really fight for that stuff. I mean, yeah. Um, yeah. You you do talk about relation relationship capital in that chapter a lot, and when when I heard that Clay, I I wrote down longer haul ministry, and obviously that's what we're talking about here in terms of the the podcast. But basically, what I said, but then I wrote down, you can't pull this off well in your first couple of years. Would you well, push? Yeah. Ba- would you agree or push back on that with me? In other words, I, I mean, feel like to to really that you might want to be willing to give it a little time before you go in and big time challenge the person in charge, because you're not going to have relationship relationship capital built up. Yeah, you're right. Within the first six months to a year, you know, it's going to take a little time. I mean, I think I, I, I wouldn't put a number on it. I think, you know, there are some people that they come in and in three months, they feel like they've gained, they, they have gained people's okay. trust. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I would say our tendency, I think, I think that's the key is you got to know what your tendency is. I think every one of us has one and some of our tendency is going to be to wait too long. And some of our tendency is going to be to, you know, uh, ready, fire, aim is to come in yeah, like in six yeah. weeks telling everybody what's wrong with all their ministries and why the whole thing is not working. So I think you just got to know what is, and, and I think you got to, you, that this, this is the benefit of community is that you got to have people around you. That, uh, or have enough wisdom to say, hey, to ask the good questions, the, those questions that you just posed, Chris, of, hey, do you feel like you've gained enough trust to be able to say something hard mm-hmm. like that? Yeah. Um, or if you're, you know, if you're a couple, if you're four months into the job, maybe you don't say something hard. Maybe it's you just ask a couple of questions because a lot of times, I mean, the way most people respond, none of us really like unsolicited advice anyway. So a better way to leverage influence is to ask questions is to say hey help me understand um when did we start doing it that way why why did we make that decision what's the goal of trying to get that done and through those questions the hopefully the person will come to the conclusion themselves that 
oh, that's interesting. I don't have answers to those pretty mm-hmm. basic questions. What do you think? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we'll invite you in to be able to offer that's some uh, potential advice. So that, that's the old uh, Dale Carnegie how to how to win friends, influence people kind of tactic where you're I asking have not questions. Read that, but oh, it's so Dale, good. It's old, old, Dale's old. Really, really made a name for himself, though. Yeah, <laughs> it's good, man. He has. It's so good. That's great. Uh, as one thing that I and we don't have time to unpack all these, but but if if you are listening, I can't recommend enough getting your getting your hands on this book as a youth pastor, yeah, and specifically what we're talking about right now with uh, the idea of how to challenge and challenge well to make change happen, how to challenge uh, those that are in authority over you, um, and specifically in that chapter that we were just talking about, Clay goes into that deeper and he lists out. Um, in chapter eight, he lists out statements and phrases that you should avoid. And again, we don't have time Ooh. to really unpack all those in, in, in this moment right now, but they are they are superb um, in terms of just things because because that's one of the things I loved about the book. You're not just you're not just setting us up for this moment where we could get ourselves in trouble, but you are actually saying, "Hey, here's some things to successfully pull this off." And and I think that's super super practical. So, highly recommend that. So, Absolutely. Yeah, those were uh, some of those were painful to read. You're like, oh, yeah, I, I may have said that once or twice. Speaking of painful, uh, one thing you said in the book that you know, <laughs> where are you going with painful? I'm just going to go. Where, I, this is this, this hurt me a little bit when I read it because I I struggled and I, and I still struggle with this. But you you wrote down you know, and I don't know that where this came from. Maybe this maybe this is all clay. I don't know. Uh, but great leaders don't get defensive. Mm. Um, is you know, is one of the things you wrote, and I just I was like, oh, ouch. Like, because I feel like I, do a lot of leaders, is that just me or do a lot of leaders struggle with being defensive? I mean, I think all of us at some level do because we think the way that we see the world is right. So uh, when someone challenges it or when someone sees it differently, it's just very easy to go. It's very easy to make the feedback personal and to think that, oh, this person is disagreeing with my idea. Therefore they are attacking me. Um, and po- I think they're wrong. So is it possible that youth pastors struggle with this maybe a little more at times because of the fact that the comments are made, you know, the comments are made about, Hey, one day, whenever you get, um, a real job or whatever, you know, when you become a pastor, you know, or whatever that might be, that it, it, it's easy to start thinking, well, nobody's really taking me serious. And I don't know why. I mean, I'm wearing shorts and T-shirts all the time, but I can't imagine why people aren't taking me more more serious. But, <laughs> Cargo uh, shorts, a dirty T-shirt? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but I, when I read that, though, I, I, it, it resonated because, man, I, I, I do find myself being a little defensive at times. And um, I don't think as much as maybe in days gone by, but still that's a temptation at times for me, for sure. Well, I think, I think you're really on to something. I think student pastors, there's a lot that student pastors have to overcome because there's a stereotype, uh, lazy, late, sloppy, uh, disorganized, um, carefree. And I think there, there probably is a reason why maybe student pastors struggle more with feedback or, uh, being deeply curious or ruthlessly curious about what's really what, what's really costing them influence because there is so much that youth pastors have to overcome in regards to just 
the way people think about the stereotype, stereotypical student pastor. You think youth pastors should maybe, uh, with some of those stereotype things, would there be wisdom at times in looking at some of those and considering whether or not they're trivial or not? Uh, in other words, w- one thing often at the stage of life I'm in, like if I'm in a conference type setting, I'll say, you know, maybe fighting the what you wear battle may not be worth it. You know, maybe maybe you ought to dress, just go ahead and wear some nicer clothes from time to time just to eliminate that as a potential roadblock for influence. You know better than I would know. I think that's fantastic. Yeah. Um, that's, but that's at the same time, I mean, our student pastors, I mean, I, I feel like I try to give them a lot of grace. I mean, for one, I know what it's like. I've been in their yeah. shoes. But also, I know that they're trying to connect with students. And so you don't want to walk in with a pleated khakis. You Seriously. Know? And, yeah. I mean, so at the same time, they're dealing with a group of people that are labeling them or stereotyping them as old and irrelevant yeah. and you know, uh, out of, out of date or out of touch, whatever. So it's tricky on both sides. I mean, I would say one of the reasons why I started with identity is because I feel like that's what's most important is that the way you carry yourself is way, is a way bigger deal than what you're wearing. And what you're wearing is important because you have a presence about you and how you dress speaks into the way people, that first impression people get. So I do think it matters, but, um, I think if I were, advising, which I don't like the idea of giving anybody advice, but I would try to work more on what's going on inside of me and let God really form my identity and how he sees me. Um, I think that's more important than the exterior for sure, but the exterior matters. That's awesome. Well, Clay, uh, man, thank you so much for giving your time today and jumping on here with us. Um, Glad to do it. Oh, man, we do encourage everybody to, to go and get the book. We'll put a link to the book on the show notes page so everybody can find it there. If folks want to find you, connect with you beyond here, what's the easiest way for them to do that? Yeah, uh, I am on Twitter, uh, at Clay Scroggins, Instagram, at Clay Scroggins. I've got a website, ClayScroggins.com. There's a, um, I hate having that URL, by the way. <laughs> I wanted to get a different one, but they were like, well, it's your name. So, um, anyway, there's a, on the front of the website though, there is a, there's a, um, tool that we created for teams to use to discuss. It's called find your influencer score. And it's a little, it's a quick little survey that basically will help begin a conversation with you and the people that you work around or, uh, the team that you work on to help you discover how, how you're doing. Are you leveraging influence or are you waiting on authority? Um, so if that would be helpful, uh, I hope that people will take advantage of it and use it with their team or pass it on to a friend. Um, but this has been great. Thanks for letting me be on the longer haul. Yeah, man. We're we're awesome to have you, man. Yes, sir. Well, we'll put links to all that on the show notes page again, reach out, go get the book. It's so good. It's so helpful. Um, I think every student, it ought to be required reading really for, uh, for student pastors and, um, you will find yourself throughout the book relating so much uh, with the things that, that Clay's talking about. So, man, thanks again. Uh, we'll uh, we'll catch you later then. Thanks, guys. All right, see you, bud. Well, there you have it. Man, what a great interview. Jeez. Uh, I wish we'd had so much more time, and he probably would have given us a little bit more time. But honestly, there's so much more you know, in the book. And we, you know, we've got no dog in this hunt um, in the sense that we're not you know, making anything by trying to 
try to recommend his book here or anything at all. He's not a sponsor or anything, but I'm telling you, man, especially in those last chapters um, where he talks about how to build a relationship uh, with the person that you're trying um, that is maybe an authority over you uh, that you're trying to help lead, um, maybe lead up. So, man, just get the book. I mean, seriously, right? Yeah, get the book. Read the whole book. book. Read the entire book. Or, uh, or, or get it on Audible. I actually have it on Audible as yeah, well. Yeah, I have it on Audible as well, yeah. Uh, and he's, he's a pretty funny guy to listen to um, as far as just kind of – Yeah, he thing. actually – it's cool because in this in this case, he's the one that actually narrates the book. So you can yeah, hear totally. him. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's a great it's a great resource to have. So um, I use Audible like all the time. Yep, check it out. It's my favorite. Uh, be so. sure to jump over to the uh, podcast uh, Facebook group if you want to discuss this interview at all. Um, so if there's anything that comes out in the interview that you want to throw out on the Facebook group as a point of discussion or maybe dig in a little bit deeper as a group we'd love to do that that'd be fun yep join the super secret podcast group uh with all of the other people that are there and uh make sure you subscribe to the show if you enjoy it it's uh we appreciate you listening and giving your time to do so you should probably go pay attention to your students now and yeah, no. uh, they're, they're running they're running amok so uh, i think that does it for today right that's it all right cool. take care we'll see you in the next episode Thanks for listening to the Longer Hall Youth Ministry Podcast at www.thelongerhall.com.